This is Soccer City, and it's rivalry week in Major League Soccer. Today, a quintet of brothers in Queens, the Aquistas. They're on both sides of the Hudson River Derby. Four of them favor New York City FC and one to the New York Red Bulls. We'll have some fun with that later. Also, we'll get the Red Bulls' perspective on the Derby from Christian Dyer. He covers the team for Metro New York and the MSG Network. Meanwhile, NYCFC, they'll enter the 14th entry of this rivalry match against the Red Bulls, coming off a difficult 2-0 road defeat to the Philadelphia Union. Prior to that match, I asked City head coach Dolme Torrent to respond to a pair of reports from outside of the country. In Spain, a story was written that NYC had already decided that they would not renew 36-year-old David Villa for 2019. I think it's not true because uh, we have in the middle in the, the season. After that, when we finish the, the season, we, we, can, we can talk with a bit about that. But uh, after the end, is. Uh, he's very important for us and uh, we, we can meet together and, and, and talk about that but uh, it's not the right moment because it's, uh, maybe we are able to, to play the playoff and after that we have time to, to, to talk about that. Okay, that's one. The other came from Jesus Medina's homeland, Paraguay, suggesting former city coach Patrick Vieira and OGC Nice were trying to lure Medina away for seven million pounds. I'm very happy when the other clubs uh, uh, watch the MLS and watch uh, our players, but uh, we didn't receive any news. Uh, it's not news about Nice, it's the same. I don't want to speak about that because it's not true right now and I didn't receive any news about Nisa, believe me. So both stories refuted by the New York City manager, whose team lost a chance to leap to the top of the table in the Eastern Conference. And adding to their woes, both Medina and Ironman Alexander Collins sustained injuries and they're unavailable for the Derby. And Rado Matarita earned a straight red for a foul and stoppage time in Philadelphia, so he's out. More perplexing for head coach Dome Torrent is the team's lack of tactical cognition. Goalkeeper Sean Johnson, back after a two-game absence with a shoulder issue, claims that the team is taking it all in small portions at a time. Yeah, I think we have a long way to go. I think um, you know he's instilled different principles, um, you know, um, at a rate that we can really take them on. And you know, some coaches come in and just dump everything that they want and expect you to go. And I think he's done a really good job, um, step by step, explaining what he wants. And every game, it's something different, but uh, he's very simple. Gives us objectives and. I think we're, we're, we're quality enough team to do what he wants. Yet, Torrent uh, appears exasperated when his team fails to recognize the second-half tendency to defend closer to their own goal. He said after the match that he shouted up to a dozen times to push up in the second half. Johnson explained that it's not necessarily a, a lack of recognition. Yeah, I think as the game goes on, I think it's um, it's difficult. Um, it's, it's a big ask for the guys, and you know we can obviously do it. And we've been training it, um, but as the game goes on, and if we, there's a point of scenarios in the game, so if the game's still 0-0, we haven't, we haven't scored a goal to really put a team on the back foot. For me, as the game goes on, the longer it goes, um, and we're, we're going back and forth, the legs get tired, um, it's harder for guys to, to do that work. Well, supporters will get to see the response to the union loss soon enough Wednesday, the 14th edition of the Hudson River Derby at Yankee Stadium. So... 
I figured let's get the Red Bulls' perspective on this and a guy who has covered every one of those previous 13 Derby matches. He covers the Red Bulls for the MSG Network with his Red Bulls Insider, and he also covers the team for Metro New York Newspaper. I love newspaper. Christian Dyer. Christian, how you doing, man? Good, Glenn. How are you? And I love newspapers, too. So. Yes. I, uh, I still get my... Uh, well, edition of the Star Ledger. I'm a Jersey boy, so that's that's the that's the paper I have delivered. Hey, what do you call? Do you call it the Hudson River Derby? What's your uh, what do you use? I, I love the Hudson River Derby. I think that's that's the way to go. The Hudson Derby isn't quite the same to me. It's the Hudson River Derby. You got two teams, one on each side of the Derby, both claiming to be New York teams. Uh, you know, to me, it is the Hudson River Derby. Although I kind of like the Gotham Derby. I thought that had a nice ring to it. But to me, Hudson River just really sounds authentic and true. All right, that's the one I've gone with mostly. Uh, I've New York Derby doesn't do anything for me either. No. So how do you uh, assess this rivalry, both from? I guess the health for the soccer in the metropolitan area and, and the games themselves. And we know the, the Red Bulls have been dominant, eight wins, four losses, and a draw. But, but what's your assessment? Uh, to, to me, that this derby would be an awful lot healthier if we talked about scheduling and we talked about some of, kind of the, the components around it. It seems like any time this derby is played at Red Bull Arena, it's a noon or a 1 o'clock start, which I think kind of takes away from some of the buildup. And I understand they want to cut back on drinking and, and you know the fan interaction issues that I think played the first few derbies at Red Bull Arena from both sides uh, of the river kind of mingling in a, in a non-constructive uh, sort of way. So so to put it. And then you look at these two here in New York this year, and I, and I have to feel bad for NYCFC when you've got one of the statement kind of matches, uh, the kind of match that should be drawing over 30,000 uh, to a beautiful stadium. You put one on a Sunday night, which isn't exactly a great time, and then you put another one on a Wednesday night, which again is going to cut back an awful lot on uh, on fans traveling in and, and, and the way support and everything else. To me, I don't think the league is doing any favors with this. I know we spoke a few moments ago off air uh, about just the fact that it's a Wednesday night match and you've got a tough grind for NYCFC that they're just kind of getting through right now. And then Red Bull's going to have to manage their personnel on Wednesday night because they're going through five matches in two weeks. So to me, showcase moments for the league uh, that you're kind of burying on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night. The, that, to me, is just not what you want to see from what should be a pinnacle moment for the league three times a year. And it would seem, and this might seem selfish on our part since we cover both the teams, that the league would be wanting to protect this Derby match, this rivalry. But it, it hasn't seemed that way, especially the afternoon games, Christian. And I will tell you this, quite candidly, that's a weak excuse if it has to do with the drinking and the supporters because all you do is increase the security and you know you, you keep monitoring that. But that's not a good good enough reason, is it? I, I don't think so. And I get that there's a lot of areas for fans to mingle, both in the Bronx and Harrison. There's drinking holes. There's mass transportation. There's issues. And listen, I've heard Red Bulls players complain when they take the path in from the city, those that live in the city, that they've gotten some heckling and, and some abuse that they didn't consider fair. And I'm sure it goes the other way around, too, uh, with, with players uh, on the NYCFC side when they're traveling into matches and, and they're interacting with Red Bulls fans or the traffic getting into Harrison, kind of backing things up like a, like Patrick Beer has noted a few times, making things uncomfortable for his guys. 
at the end of the day, this should be a, a moment really that's, you know, like Yankees Red Sox in, in Major League Baseball. Or we talk about some of the other big rivalries, Philadelphia uh, versus, you know, the New York Giants, where you're looking at the fact that there's got to be build up to it, there has to be excitement, but there also has to be accessibility. And I think MLS, for a lot of the things they've done on and off the field, They've sometimes made these types of matches very difficult for fans to go to, to enjoy, to appreciate. This should be a moment, quite frankly, Glenn, you got two of the top three teams in the Eastern Conference, if not the league. There should be 40,000 out at this match at Yankee Stadium. You know, we're looking at probably a number closer to half of that on Wednesday night. And that's disappointing for the teams and the league. Uh, well, we've both, and you're right, uh, we've both written stories about how uh, both NYCFC and the New York Red Bulls uh, are both setting their sights on the supporters' shield. I don't think we've been able to say that in the uh, first four years of this derby. So uh, this year, maybe more than any other, it presents a lot of intrigue as we move into the final stages of the regular season. It, it certainly does. And to me, I think this is the next chapter of the derby, the first two maybe two and a half years of the Derby. What did we talk about? Only geography, because in, in many ways, City FC was still finding its foot. They were finding their identity. That first year was a difficult first year under Jason Christ, and then Patrick Vieira had to come on in and kind of put his stamp on things. And it took him about a year and a half to kind of adjust to the Derby and really level things. And to the point where you looked at last year, City FC, to me, was, was far and away the better team in those three regular season Derby matches. And now we're talking about not just geography, not just hatred between these two fan bases, but we're talking about two teams with similar goals, making the playoffs, winning the Eastern Conference, challenging for the supporters' shield. And, and these are two of the best three teams out there right now uh, to be able to accomplish that end out of the Eastern Conference. So to me, it's the next stage, the next step of this development is we're talking about the sporting side now. We're talking about the teams. We're talking about ramifications for the shield for the playoffs, for the Eastern Conference, playoff seating and everything else. It's not just about all the extrinsics anymore and an expansion team versus an established team, big brother versus little brother, geography. There's always going to be that banter and those underlying components, I think, and that's good. That's but right. We now, have, but we now have two teams that are really built up and that, that you know want the same thing, and I think that's great for the Derby. That's right, the noisy neighbors, man. Uh, uh, Christian Dyer, our guest from the MSG Network, in Metro New York. Uh, you mentioned Vieira. It's really been a unique summer. Patrick Vieira leaves NYCFC for <laughs> Nice in France. And then Jesse Marsh, he leaves the Red Bulls for Red Bulls Leipzig in Germany. So wouldn't you know it, Chris Armas, his first match as a Red Bulls coach is against Dolme Turan and New York City. The Derby match, the one nothing loss at Yankees Stadium. But it does appear uh, that overall Armas and the team have adjusted quite well, Yes. I think so, and I think you kind of see a little bit, and I know this is a word that a lot of Red Bulls fans hate, and City fans love to throw at the Red Bulls supporters, but there's a lot of synergy when you're talking about the Red Bull organization and hiring from within, bringing Chris Armis up from the number one assistant role. Keep in mind, when he joined this team three years ago, he wasn't the number one guy on the bench, but he kind of worked his way up when Dennis Hamlet moved to be the sporting director. Um, 
You've got a similar philosophy. Armis knows how to coach in this role. He's taken that role over the past year and a half when Jesse Marsh has been suspended, which became somewhat of a frequent occurrence around these parts. Uh, but he's had that opportunity to run training sessions when Jesse was off getting his UEFA license, when he was, you know, away for this, away for that, whatever it might be. So he had that similar kind of mentality and mindset. And the reason why Chris Armis was hired was very much because, uh, you know, he wasn't going to rock the boat. Dom coming in, on the other hand, is going to want to put his stamp, his intelligence, his experience behind this. So I think we're seeing a little bit between synergy versus a little bit of upheaval now between these two teams. Tyler Adams. Now here's a guy who has uh, – he joined the, the Red Bulls organization at the age of 15. So And he's causing a lot of excitement uh, nationally with the U.S. men's national team and his future contributions there. But he's certainly one of the key performers for the Red Bulls. Now, is it is it safe to say that he'll be joining Jesse March? Uh, contract signed, sealed, and delivered. Tyler Adams is going to be a Red Bull uh, Leipzig player. He, you know, whether that means that he ends up going on loan to Salzburg or someplace perhaps in Germany for six months and then joins the full team uh, in the summer next year to kind of begin with preseason or whether he gets thrown into the fire right now. Listen, I think you look at Jesse Martian and what I'll term his hubris. This guy thinks he can do anything, and I think this guy also maybe wants to make a statement and say, look what I've developed here in New York. I deserve a bigger role within Red Bull or with another Bundesliga team. I think Tyler Adams has a good chance once the uh, January window opens. He goes over there. They get through their winter break. I think uh, Tyler Adams has a good chance to be in the 18 for Leipzig sooner rather than later. Alfonso Davies, Christian, uh, has signed a, a transfer contract 13.5 million pounds. I don't know what that equals in American dollars, U.S. dollars, and that has a chance to uh, accelerate to a much higher figure, transferring from Vancouver to Bayern Munich. How does Adams fit into that transfer conversation if Davies is getting that sort of money? Yeah, and and that's always been kind of the question mark. When you look at things and, and some of the reports out there and the numbers that I heard, kind of had Tyler Adams in that two and a half to three million sort of range, uh, potentially going up to five million dollars if he hits certain benchmarks and clauses. Uh, certainly a number that pales in comparison to uh, you know, Alfonso Davies and the fact that we're looking at 12, 14, 15 million dollars for him right off the bat, uh, depending on what numbers you're looking at. So at the end of the day, I think an attacking player is always going to be valued more. You're also looking at money shifting from one hand to another when you're talking about New York and Leipzig. Um, But I I definitely think that Tyler Adams on the open market would probably command a little bit more than the $5 million we're hearing. What is it, Christian, uh, and uh, and then we'll leave Tyler Adams, but what is it that sets him apart? You've you've seen him play in person many, many times. I I think Tyler Adams, uh, certainly you talk about work rate. That's the first thing that comes to mind. He's a guy who covers an incredible amount of ground. You look at him, he's a perfect fit, Glenn, and you know this as a former coach at the Big East and Big Ten level, that that he is somebody who, when he comes in uh, to a game, uh, when you have to prep for him, rather, you know that he's going to cover box to box. He's going to break things up. Positionally, he's so strong. Tactically, he's so strong. The work rate that he brings and the fact that he makes it a simple game, 
we see so many young players come in this league and try to do tricks, try to do too much on the ball. They, they waste so much time. Tyler gets that ball. He pivots. He's spreading it out wide. He keeps the possession moving. And then he sits in those little pockets to win the second ball. And I think it's an intelligence factor uh, that, that can't really be um, underrated in Tyler Adams and is going to lead him to have success, I think, at a very high level in the Bundesliga. Now, Tyler needs to work a little bit more on the, on the technical side. He's, he's not as crisp with the ball as he'd like to see. I'd like to see him a little bit more 1v1 like I've seen in training. I'd like to see that come out in the game. But right now, when you talk about what he brings, all the internals, all the intrinsics, and the simplicity of his game, but the amount of ground that he covers, to me, Glenn, I think he's more valuable with the national team right now, behind the Pulisic, behind the McKinney, those types of players, because he's going to cover for their mistakes, but let them go up there, be daring, because if they lose possession, they've got Tyler sitting right behind. He's going to be in the right spot to make up for an awful lot of ground and mistakes. Bradley Wright Phillips, BWP, you're around him a lot personally. He seems to delight in these derby matches, and certainly that has resulted in 11 goals. No one's close. David Villa has four in this series. Yeah, and Bradley Wright Phillips is a special player when you talk about the history of the league. Now, is he the most talented uh, player to ever come through the Red Bull ranks? No, I think you could look certainly at the Thierry Henry's and Clint Mathis's and Juan Pablo Angel's and, and those players who have come through who tactically are just so and, and technically are so far superior to a BWP. But he fits the system. He's humble. He's hardworking. He puts away his chances. And for a guy who's as quiet and down to earth and hates talking about himself as much as, as Bradley Wright Phillips does, and, and this guy wants to talk about teammates and coaches and everybody else but himself, uh, at the end of the day, he's somebody who uh, <laughs> seems to really love playing the villain role and loves to do so in these Derby matches. I don't know if he hates that light blue, sky blue color or you know, there's something <laughs> going on there, but uh, he's like a bull who sees the flag. When, when he sees that light blue, he switches into another mode. And for a down-to-earth, humble guy, Glenn, I'm not sure if I've ever seen someone get so mean on the soccer field and, and do that 180 in personality. It's clear there's no love lost between him and, and city football. And, uh, Christian, you're the man who breaks stories, so before uh, I let you go, you, you got anything on the horizon for us? And then tell us where people can uh, read your material. I think it's going to be a really interesting offseason for MLS when you look at the fact that a lot of teams are going to be uh, clamoring for more TAM money. It wouldn't surprise me if we see more TAM being introduced. Maybe not this year, Glenn, but maybe next offseason. I think that, that uh, youth transfer fund and everything else is really going to kick into high gear. And I think there's going to be more of an, uh, an emphasis this offseason from MLS. And we saw it with uh, the sale of homegrown players. Teams can now keep 100% of that transfer fee. I think MLS is probably going to be looking for some different ways to go out there and really encourage teams to develop their own Tyler Adams and Matt Miazgas and, 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 the, and Sands and some of the players that NYCFC has because they want to be able to be a seller league but also develop young American talent that they can market. So that's going to be something I'm going to be watching for this offseason. All right. Well, if you follow Christian Dyer, and you should, at Christian R. Dyer, and that's Christian with a K, you see his Twitter account, you'll see tweets about the Red Bulls and other soccer stories, but also the New York Jets and the New York Giants of the NFL. He's got to be one of the hardest working guys in the business. And before I let you go, really, Christian, you have to tell me, how are my Jets going to be? 
<laughs> that's a that's a great question. I think the Jets are going to be a team that they're going to be improved. They're going to be better. And keep in mind, I think they were better than last year's record. They were in a out of you know eight of those losses that they had, eight of the twelve losses that they had, this was like eight points or fewer. I think it's a team that's going to take the next step. We may only be looking at five or six wins, but. With $100 million in salary cap, I think the Jets over the next decade, and I've never said this before, so you're getting an exclusive right now, I think the Jets are going to have more playoff appearances over the next decade than the Giants. Wow. And I just got two words, Sam Darno. We'll see what happens. He's good. (laughs) He can make every throw. He's solid in the pocket, and he's a good, solid quarterback off the field. Good leader. He's got those intrinsics that we talked about with Tyler Adams. Jets finally have their quarterback of the future. You should, you're going to do a lot of cheering over the next decade, Glenn. Hi, well, uh, Christian, thanks for sharing your thoughts about the NFL, but more importantly, the Red Bulls and the upcoming Derby. I'll see you on Wednesday night. Thanks, Glenn. All right, uh, airtime for uh, Wednesday's Hudson River Derby. Love hearing about the New York Jets, too. Sorry. Uh, it's uh, WNYE 645 for our pregame show. You know, Queens is the home of the Aquistas. An Aquista Trattoria, a restaurant recommended to me by Dave Mazur, the longtime St. John's University men's coach. It's a block or two away from Belson Stadium, which is the home for St. John's, also the home for the New York City FC Academy. Claudio Reyna, the sporting director for New York City and Academy coaches, they've been patrons of the restaurant. Carlo Aquista played for Mazer at St. John's when the Red Storm won the national championship in 1996. He and his four brothers, Joe, Fabio, Alessandro, and Paolo, helped bring the restaurant to life five years after that national title. And their father, Rosario, had purchased the place. So when uh, New York City FC was born in 2015, this was great news for the Aquistas. All soccer junkies, they support AC Milan and Serie A, and were longtime supporters of Major League Soccer. So first up, Brother Joe. I was one of the first 3,000 founding members to uh, get my season ticket. So it happened, um, I put the deposit down right away as soon as it was announced. Now, why were you so excited? I mean, you had the New York Red Bulls, even though they're across the river. I always said to myself, being a, being a Queens native, born in Queens, raised in Queens, that when um, New York City got its, its own um, franchise, I always wanted to get season tickets. So um, finally came true, and I was uh, good, to, good to my word, and I, I put a deposit down. So you've got you and your four brothers, and apparently all five of you got season tickets. Is that the way it went down? We uh, we got yeah group uh, all five of us we're, we're five brothers so we uh, uh, put money together and we all got season tickets to the, to the New York City FC. All right, included in that brotherhood, Carlo. He's the lone coach in the group. Uh, had stints at St. Francis of New York and at Delphi University on Long Island. The location was was great for us to get to MLS games. Um, growing up in Queens and being able to get there within twenty twenty five minutes, so that was probably the. Uh, biggest value for me. A team in New York near the house is always a dream come true because, uh, you know, we're big supporters of the league and we're big followers of professional soccer. So that's for me was a, was a, was a pretty cool. Yeah, ditto brother Fabio, who followed the Metro Stars with the rest of the family. They became the Red Bulls. And a player who caught his eye, who came out of LIU Brooklyn, Gio Savarese, who eventually coached the Cosmos and now the Portland Timbers. We all actually supported the Metro Stars when they first came in, well, when the league started. Um, I was a fan 
Savarese, Donadoni. I remember waiting for Savarese at a soccer store in Utopia in, in uh, Flushing. He never showed up, but the owner got me the, the signature. And now he used to come to the restaurant with the Cosmos. So it was like kind of like, oh my God, I knew this guy for, from playing. And like, so, I mean, we grew up watching the Metro Stars, but I think once the Rebels, oh no, I'm sorry, when the NYCFC came into the league, we, well, for the most part, we wanted to support NYCFC because they were an NYC team. Um, they weren't playing in New Jersey, which I get it. They, that's where the field is. Just New York City FC for us, for me and Joe at least, and Paolo um, is a team that represents Queens, where we're from, who we are, and all about us. So you heard Fabio say we wanted to support NYC for the most part. So the reference there, brother Carlo, in the past year he was named an assistant scout with the New York Red Bulls. And that's okay with his brothers to a point. Well, his dream was always to be involved with a professional club. Um, this chance came with the Red Bulls, and as soon as he took the job, that one ticket, uh, one seat became vacant. So, um, <laughs> did he did he dispatch that ticket, or did you all say you can't have it anymore? How did that work? Well, it kind of worked both ways. I'm sure he wasn't going to take it, so uh, we took it from him. <laughs> <laughs> He decides to uh, get his foot in the door with the Red Bulls, which was a great step for him, obviously, and we all do support him that way. But when it comes to game time on Wednesday, I don't know him. <laughs> we're, we're broken for uh, NYC and uh, Red Bulls. All right, so what's Carlo's take on all this? He claims that the separation from New York City FC doesn't have the same kind of effect on him. So here's the difference, I think, in, in my logical maybe reasoning you know which they don't think so i do it for a living the sport they know the game as fans and they played they're going to kill me for this a little bit you know but i looked at it a different perspective they looked at it as a fan perspective i looked at it as a pure soccer related way of things and they look at it as a fan so that's why there's a little bit of more arguing at times you know mm-hmm. why did this guy play not this guy play and you know i don't really tell them much and stuff like that but that's kind of our our um, arguments before games and after games and during games. So Carlo, he spent 10 years at Adelphi uh, before making his move to the Red Bulls. And ahead of the Derby, I wondered if there would be any interaction between the brothers now that they are on opposite sides. We haven't really talked about it, but I know leading up to it, there's going to be a big banter in our our group chat about it. So So there is a little trash talking on text. There has to be. There has to be, you know. I keep it very... uh, as professional as possible, you know, but they're, they're a lot of fun and, and uh, they, they enjoy the style of New York City FC and how they do things and they do follow them player for player. They were, you know, when, when uh, the young man from Queens just got signed, Danny Bedoya, you know, they, they were quick to, to send me the picture, you know, Queens guy, you know, what, what happened, you know, he was on the Red Bulls and I just didn't answer. <laughs> Bedoya had signed a first year contract with, uh, New York City FC on the first team. He had played at St. John's University as well. Well, this is all in fun, but how about a prediction? Uh, we've only got one, and it comes from a less than confident Fabio. Prediction wise, I'm, I want to say we will win, but I think we'll end up be, be a tie, like a 2 2 tie, something along those lines. Hopefully, we don't get blown out. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> but uh, I'll go with the 2-2 tie on, on Wednesday. <laughs> all right, the Red Bulls are 8-4-1 and one in all competitions against New York City, and that includes a pair of 4 to nothing wins over City this year, thus the uh, less-than-confident Fabio. But... City won the last match at Yankee Stadium by the score of one to nothing. One final little story before we end this. Mino Raiola is Paul Pogba's agent. Paul Scholes is a former player and great midfielder at Manchester United. And Scholes, he made the comment uh, uh, about Pogba, the midfielder for Manchester United, now that the French World Cup champion had a poor game and lacked leadership in Sunday's 3-2 Premier League loss to Brighton. This is from BBC. The quote from Raiola, Paul Scholes wouldn't recognize a leader if he was in front of Sir Winston Churchill. Some people need to talk for fear of being forgotten. And that'll do it for Soccer City. Be sure to subscribe on TuneIn and iTunes. Heard live each Tuesday at 1 o'clock Eastern on WNYE New York 91.5 FM. I'm Glenn Crooks. Have a great week of soccer.